Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. I'm Randy, and today my guest is Melissa Sargent. Now, Melissa is the CMO of Litmus. Litmus is focused on making sure your emails are delivered in a reliable way. And naturally, we end up talking about email. We don't talk about Litmus. Don't worry, this is never an infomercial, but we talk about email as a channel, and a lot of us don't associate it as this sexy channel anymore, but it's really that baseline channel. That's a term I used, and we talked about ways that we can ensure ensure email deliverability, ensure emails are open, some of those tips and tricks we really need to visit a little bit more often. Melissa's career brings a lot of different perspective. This is her third time as a CMO. She's also been a CMO at Sugar CRM and Channel Advisor. And before that, she had an amazing career, very focused over 20 years in software and talks about some of the best experiences she's had to line her up as a CMO, including these ideas of being able to really run with marketing and of a larger organization like CA and what she's able to do there from a learning perspective to be nimble and now run with confidence, a team that's scrappy and trying to you know, break through. She'll tell you a little bit about what it means to be a marketing athlete on her team. This is a great episode. Tune in. Here we go. Melissa Sargent. Melissa, thank you so much for stopping in to chat with us. I'm really excited to talk to you. You've been a multi-time CMO, but let's let's look at the fact that you've now been over 20 years in technology, which is an impressive career for anyone, but that focus on tech dating back before 2000, how did you know that that was a place that you were going to find comfort and intrigue? I started my career on the agency side in, in corporate communications and was toggling really between public affairs and then corporate work. And I really gravitated towards the corporate work and some of the tech companies. And that gave me the bug to go to my first tech company, which was in the telecommunication space. And then from there, I went into software. And when I found software, I really felt like I was at home and that was the place that I was supposed to be. And I still started from the communication side of the house and and made that journey from communications to Marcom to product marketing and kept expanding my skills as I was working for all of these different companies. That's great. And and you've been with some amazing brands that, you know, and we look back on these now and they look like such staples in the evolution of technology. Yes. Companies like CA, companies like you know, Digitsmith, which I can see was a TiVo company. I remember when TiVo was so cutting edge. How did you pick your winners in, in, in these times? Were you looking at what was hot in the moment? Were you predicting what was hot to come? I was really focused on expanding my skills in marketing. I've done everything from three gals in a garage with a dog, you know, all the way up to the largest, you know, company, one of the largest software management companies like uh, CA. And I was really focused on expanding my roles and responsibilities. So when I had done well in communications, I saw that people in product marketing had a great trajectory. So I wanted to go and do product marketing 
there, which is what I did at CA for nearly a decade and also did a ton of acquisitions with them while I was there. From that point, I really wanted to focus on demand generation and revenue marketing and went to Avalara and ran a marketing team from that point. So for me, I wasn't very intentional in where I was going in terms of what the company is doing. I was really looking at the opportunity from a marketing perspective of what skills and experiences hadn't I yet experienced. And if that company could get me there, that was something that intrigued me and I would make the, the change. Gotcha. And it, I mean, looking back and, and some of the opportunities you talked about, you were in senior VP or director like roles already in your career, but making that jump to CMO is something that not, not every marketer gets to do. As you look back and to timeline this for people, your first CMO gig was in 2016, coming right after Avalara, which you just mentioned. What do you attribute to, to making you the CMO you are today? What stop along the way or specific focus within marketing defines the type of CMO you are now? I think it was my time at, at CA Technologies because at CA, it's running business units. So, and the head of product marketing for that business unit is really like a mini CMO because the CMO of the company is very halo effect brand type CMO and that the head of product marketing for the business unit is really a mini CMO who's driving all of the go-to-market activities. And I didn't realize it that the time when I was there, but it was the perfect training for me to become a CMO because you had to work with product management, you had to work with the demand gen teams, you had to work with corporate marketing, you had to work with communications and really rally them and get them to execute on the programs for your business unit so that you were successful. So it was really like being the CMO of like a $200 million a year company. So it was perfect training to become a CMO later in life. That's interesting. And you know, I, let's fast forward now and, and everyone has checked you out probably in deciding to listen to this podcast, but you're the CMO of a company called Litmus. Litmus, how many people over there? So about 180. 180. And it's interesting because I, you know, obviously I had a rough idea of the size of the company and I looked at the CA thing and I'm thinking that's such a leap, right? <laughs> a leap from this big, huge software company to this scrappy, you know, high growth company. But it's interesting to hear you describe, you know, that that really groomed you. Do you now as a CMO, where do you often look for talent? Are you looking for that talent that's been at a large software company you know, do you have a lean there based on your own experience or do you like that, you know, up and comer? I think what we look for at our juncture where we are, are really marketing athletes. We have, you know, 26 people on our team. And so we don't have, you know, a hundred marketers and we're really looking for athletes who are, who are a little bit dangerous in a bunch of different areas. We have an expectation that they have a strong digital and analytics background, but even on our creative teams, we still want that creative edge because we're marketing to email marketers, email designers, coders. So we need that blend of geek and chic. And so we tend to look for marketing athletes who can do a little bit of everything and may have done a bunch of different things in marketing and get them to focus in on a specific area within our team now. I love, I love that term athlete applied to the marketer. Because, uh, you know, I, I think of someone flexible, I think of some, someone nimble who can adjust on the fly, make those game time decisions. 
I'm wondering, is that a litmus value brand creation that you have, or is this something that you brought with you in your last few CMO gigs? I think it's something, it's it's a little bit of litmus, and I think just based on where we are and that we are this this growth company. And I think it's something that I've also brought with me because I've the last three gigs, I've tended to work with companies that are on this similar growth path. You're not a big company, but you're not a startup and a small organization. So adaptability to change and being able to cover a lot of different areas is really, really critical for the people to be successful on the team. So let's talk a little bit about how you, you know, keep sharp on your own as a CMO. I mean, now that you've been at this level three times around, and, and I'm, I'm kind of, this is a leading question because I know you've, you're a founding member of this CMO huddles uh, group. And tell us a little bit about how that came to be and what that does for you. It's fantastic. So Drew Nicer from AdAge and he also runs his own agency is running that group. And he's brought together this incredible group of CMOs from all sorts of companies. A lot of tech companies are heavily represented there, but we're in all different sizes and stages. And we come together every month and we have these really practical discussions. Like one time, most recently, we were talking about everybody's talking about retaining their talent and recruiting talent with everything that's happening in the market. We had a recent discussion on how you get your first board gig and he brought in some experts. And it's really a group where we come together and talk about very meaningful issues that we're facing right then. So if somebody's having an issue with pipeline growth, we orchestrate the discussion around that and everybody goes around the horn and talks about, hey, have you tried this? What about this? And really give each other very practical advice. And then it even sets up an opportunity to have these one-to-one conversations. So I've been very interested, although we're not doing it right now at Litmus, at this evolution to agile marketing. And so I just asked Drew, is anybody on the team on in the huddles, has anybody gone through an agile transformation? Can I just get on the phone and talk to them and learn about like what all the things that they look back now and they wish they had known and like how do I get this started? How do I do it without breaking the entire organization? And he set me up on a one-to-one with another CMO who had just gone through it. And she got on the phone with me just last week and I was talking to her and then the primary person who was running that for her. And they just let me ask them a hundred questions that I had on the topic. So it's an exceptional way to really get a broad point of view on things that you know you're you're challenged with and to be able to help each other get better over time. That's great advice. And and I, I love the humbleness of this group and, and your response here because I think a lot of people assume the CMO has all the answers. But the reality is, you know, we're searching for answers just like your email marketing manager is, just like your ABM manager is, just like all these roles are trying to figure out from each other. And I think having that group, I mean, for me, this podcast is essentially that group for me. I get to hear from other CMOs on a weekly basis. And uh, quick tip for you, since we're giving tips, Andrea Fryer, if you know. She's she runs awesome. She's fantastic. And if anyone listening is trying to figure out that agile marketing piece, uh, she's, she's first of all, so fantastic and, and you know really good methodology for your team uh, to look at implementing. We're going to take a quick break here on the marketer's journey with Melissa Sargent. We'll be right back to talk about the buyer journey after this break. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? 
look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. So as you listen to Melissa talk about this idea of being a mini CMO inside of CA, you've got to think to yourself, what is the right path to get there? What is the right path to be a CMO? Is it going inside of a large organization and really understanding scale, being able to own a department and then own a team inside of a company? Or is it to work your way up through a high growth company, taking on different roles? Or is it jumping around from one company to another to see different ways? The truth is there's not one way and there's not one focus. I think this is where we differ as marketers versus say sales leaders. A lot of sales leaders become a BDR, then an AE, then a director of sales and work their way up eventually to that VP of sales or CRO type of role. It's a more common path we see whereas every marketer I speak to, it's a little bit different. Their path is unique, their journey is unique, and perhaps that's what makes this podcast so unique every single time. So Melissa, given your role at Litmus, and, and for those who don't know what Litmus does, it basically makes sure that emails get delivered. And that is so important to me as a marketer. And it's interesting because I think about email personally as kind of this baseline of my marketing campaigns, right? And yes, there's maybe sexier stuff out there like, you know, the direct mail plays that I do now or ads that I'm, you know, being creative with. But there's always that email that I'm kind of using to say, what am I going to send after that email? So where do you think email lives in this new world where we're trying to reinvent channels? I think email is, it's one of those time-tested marketing channels that's always gonna be a core part of the marketer's toolbox. Because if you even think about some of the other things, like if you're doing webinars now, which we've done a lot of webinars, um, you know, how do you invite people to your webinars? Or when somebody comes to your website and they sign up for that white paper and they opt in to your communications, those folks are actually inviting you into their inbox and they want to hear from you. So it's a great opportunity to nurture them through that journey. Absolutely. I, I Listen, I, I always say that email is a very dangerous channel, but I don't think it's going away. At least when we think about engaging with our customers and our prospects. In fact, one of the things that I've, I've said recently is that when you look at what's happening inside of our office, whether we're using a Slack or a Microsoft Teams, it's almost clearing our inbox, right? Like because all of that communication has gone into this chat functionality, now the stuff in our inbox is the ability to communicate outside of our organization. Uh, in ways, it, it means that we're going to be more careful about what we look at and how much time that actually gets. Is, is that something that you're finding customers talk about is the, you know, maybe almost a resurgence of email? Definitely, because 
email is one of the best way to nurture those relationships. You have the ability to actually see what people, understand what people want you to send to them. And we talk probably the biggest trend that's happening right now is around personalization in terms of sending me, Melissa, as a subscriber, the exact content at the exact moment that I want it. And by tracking your email and sort of managing your email analytics and understanding what your subscribers are interested in, you can create these really tailored one-to-one -one communications with them and help build that relationship with them and build that affinity for your brand in a very personal way that you just cannot do in other channels. Yeah, you're, you're dead on. And, and I think it's also this, this focus on personalization that you talk about. It's bringing up the mindset around, we got to think about every email individually. You know, my team, I can tell you, has moved probably further away from mass blast emails coming from our marketing automation platform to a combination of using sales outreach technology, whether it's a sales loft or an outreach or something of that sort, or even, you know, encouraging people just to use their inbox to create an email and really, as you said, put the right assets in there. What are some of the tips that you encourage your team or you've seen with like other CMOs that you chat with in terms of like, let's, we'll get to the personalization, but just getting that open. Like right. what is, I, I, I mentioned Salesoft. I was chatting with the CMO of Salesoft, Sydney Sloan, who's great. And, and one of the things that she made me realize is, you know, when you've got your phone out and you get that little teaser on the home screen there, sometimes that determines whether you're going to open that email. It's not even whether the email's formatted well, because I may not even open it anymore. Yeah, you definitely want to, you have to have a, culture of experimentation when it comes to email. So you need to be, you know, proactively testing those subject lines to know what engages your subscribers. You need to be segmenting not in a one to many, but in at least a one to some and ideally a one to one perspective so that you really understand those segments and your audiences and the things that they want to to read. You also want to send them at a time you know when they're going to read it. There's things like send time optimization that can tell you exactly when is the best time for this cohort within my subscriber base to actually read these emails and get them open. So again, you really have to understand that 360 view of your subscribers and segment them carefully and understand what they care about, what they like to read, what devices they're reading it on. What if you're, you know, 40% of people who are viewing emails on phones are now doing them in dark mode. How many people in your subscriber base are reading on dark mode? You have to really understand all of these things to ensure that when you get that email, that it's optimized exactly for the way you like to read your email and it's gonna engage you in the way that you wanna be engaged. It's, it's a great point. So let me ask you another one that I, I tease marketers when I do my talks about this all the time, which is, I've always thought of email as really a channel to get someone to engage and then redirect them to some sort of web experience. So whether that's my website, whether that's some sort of content path that we're creating for them. You know, when, when we think about that, I've always thought about one CTA. Like I want you to click here and make that really clear and not give you a lot of choice because people need a path to go down. So if we think about that mindset around a journey, 
what is your preference in terms of how many call to actions you see most effective? Is there any details in terms of the analytics that you're able to run on those things? So I think in general, the simpler you can make it and the more you can drive people to the, the, the action that you want them to take, which is usually going to be a single CTA is the, the way to go. You'll see differences in both, depending on whether you're selling B2B or B2C, particularly, you know, like in an e-commerce motion or a retail motion, when you're getting those promotions that are based on your previous buying experience, and you might have a couple things, people also bought these things that you might be interested in. You've got that dynamic content that's being served up. In those situations, you can have a, a few more options, but in general, best practice is to really have that single call to action and be very intuitive and simple in how you draw people there. What's your approach with your team when you're linking them outside of the email and more of a B2B focus, obviously, in terms of what you're trying to do at Litmus? Where are you often sending them? Is it to a piece of content? Is it to your website? What do you find is, is the most to start to create engagement and keep them around? It's a couple of different motions. So people um, can consume our solution online or they can consume it via a direct sales motion. So we have you know, probably 20 different email nurtures going on at any given time. So on the prospect side of the house, people that we're bringing in to the funnel, we're usually driving them either to download a piece of content, to register for a webinar, someday when events are back, registering them to an event or trying to engage them along that, that nurture path. On the other side of the house, the people that give us their credit card, we use our email campaigns to help with their onboarding experience. So we do things within the application to help cue them, but we also have that drop them into an email nurture that's like, hey, you've been with us for a week now, have you added a user yet? and to help guide that journey for them. And what we have a saying at Litmus is that it doesn't end with send, that your email analytics from both your email service provider, your marketing automation vendor, tell you so much more about not just your email program, but your entire marketing mix. But go back and really look at those analytics, understand where people open them, what devices, how much time they spend on them, did they forward them somewhere, and take those powerful insights to make the next email even better. And then if something's working well on email, like why wouldn't you take that insight and apply it to other channels within your marketing mix, within your paid media, or within your direct mail program, all of these things are fantastic insights that can really supercharge the entire mix. That's great. Those are some great tips. And you know, we're kind of geeking out on email here, but I want to take a bit of a sidebar to hit on something else that you you mentioned there, which is you really have this product-led growth model to go to market where someone can sign up with a credit card and you can nurture them. You know, and we talked about email so far, I think very much in terms of closing that first deal. You know, how do you get someone to that that finish line? But it's interesting because I, I hear this product like growth path and there's probably within all of these accounts signing up with their credit card, paying you whatever nominal fee that may be in their mind, there's probably some great enterprise or larger deals that you can focus on there. Is that where you reintroduce email to nurture them up to be ready or you put a sales rep in right away? 
It really depends on the situation. So once somebody comes in for the online, they're automatically put into a nurture program. And there's certain milestones that we know that they have to meet to give us signals, just like you would on a marketing qualified lead, the way somebody engages with your brand and you're seeing these digital signals that say, oh, it's time for them to speak to a rep. We do the same thing for our online customers and that we can see their different behavior and we're nurturing that behavior and engaging them through the onboarding process and then basically through their entire customer success journey. When they start showing us enough signals and based on who they are, they might be a really large enterprise that would be better suited uh, and their needs would be better met within our direct sales channel. We actually nurture that and drive that engagement and bring our sales organization into that. And we actually call it an upgrade MQL, not a, a sexy name, but it's a very intentional motion that we run. And our idea is that however somebody comes into our funnel, whether they start online or they need to go you know, straight to a rep, we don't really care. We just want to get them on the platform, engaging with it and being successful. And if they're an online customer for life, that's fantastic. If they go to an upgrade, that's great. Really, whatever works best for their business, we try to make sure that we have optimized our program to nurture that journey. That's some great advice and some great learnings. And, and I think that's uh, very much the path of the future. The more and more companies you, you talk to, this product-led growth path of, of having different ways to engage buyers however they desire. And it, it aligns very much back to your earlier point on, you know, give them the content they want in that email, you know, in a very personalized way. We, we need to meet the buyer the way they expect. Melissa, we're going to keep you around one more short break here on the marketer's journey, and we'll do a little bit of rapid fire after. So just when you thought this entire podcast was about email marketing, we ended up going into product-like growth. And that's an area that I think is such an interesting one for all of our companies to look at. And as CMOs, we've got to really work hand in hand with our product teams to figure out how this is possible. You know, the story that you just heard from Melissa on this path for litness of letting someone sign up with a credit card or jump into more of a direct sales model is one we're seeing more and more. We saw that early on with companies like Slack and Dropbox, who have done obviously a fantastic job at creating these different paths to becoming a customer. The question is, do you have a product-led approach? Is that a possibility for your offering? And if it is, it's something you should really be collaborating with your product leaders. Really tap them on the shoulder and get them to think about what could we do with our product to allow more pipeline to be created. You heard Melissa talk about this as kind of an upgrade MQL of sort. It's that opportunity to bring people in to become fans of your solution right out of the gate. Could do a whole other podcast on that, but we're going to wrap for now and jump to rapid fire with Melissa. back here with Melissa Sargent and we are going to chat about marketing, but from a rapid fire perspective. So none of this long drawn out chat that we've had, although I've loved it and I'm sure you all have. We're going to hit Melissa with five or six questions here and you're going to get to know how she thinks on her toes. So our first one here, if you're ready, Melissa, you ready? I'm ready. All right, good stuff. So the, the question that 
I hear a lot is whether up and coming marketers should aspire to be generalists or specialists. And especially after your answer on being an athlete, I'm curious if you want someone to be an athletic generalist or specialist. I think an athletic generalist, and I think it also prepares you if you want a career in marketing management, you want to be a little bit dangerous in all of the areas of, of marketing. Yeah, I, I more and more I'm hearing that, uh, whereas 10 years ago, I don't know, people were going that specialty route. All right, let's go to the next one here. What's one thing you wish marketers would do more of? I think it's understanding the role that marketing plays in driving the business and that your job doesn't end with your MQLs, that our job is to drive pipeline and growth. Couldn't agree more. All right. The next one's a little bit broad. We're going to play kind of like word association here. Give us three words that you associate with great content campaigns. So campaigns where content is at the core. It's personalized. It's brief and it problem focused. That's hyphenated. So that's one word. <laughs> that's all right. I'll let it fly. I'll let it fly. I like that one on brief. I, th I think that's an important one that we sometimes overlook with these long ebooks and everything out there. You just don't have time, right? You don't, it's, I'm a skimmer. I'm a, a serial skimmer. Like I love to see all this stuff, but it's got to be done in five minutes. That's a headline news. It's, it's got us all. The next one is, as a CMO, what is your favorite type of content to read, watch, or listen to? So you kind of already told us it's brief, short stuff, but you know, what's your format that you like that works for you to keep you informed? I like surveys and that show benchmarks of where other organizations are so I can measure, you know, are we behind, are we ahead, and get a sense for how we're doing. That's great. And I'm just curious with that, which ones do you kind of trust the most? Is, do you have a a go-to source? Is it vendor-based? Is it analyst-based? So I think I trust the analyst-based ones more in terms of a more accurate view of the, the market, but I read all of them. I do like the vendor-based ones as well, but you just have to go in realizing that there's a story that they're telling. Gotcha. So, all right. So speaking of telling a story, we got to wrap this whole podcast on theme. Our last question is very much on that. We talked all about journeys. Where is your next personal journey? You know, we're finally getting back to the idea of traveling again as humans. Where do you hope to travel to next? So my next trip, my first trip back on an airplane is we're having a senior leadership team meeting next month um, on the West Coast in, in California. So that'll be our, our first trip. And I'm looking forward to that because I haven't seen my colleagues. I had only worked at Litmus a couple months before we went on lockdown. And so everything has been through Zoom. So I'm very much looking forward to spending some one-on-one -on -one time with them. That's great. That sounds great. And anything, anything fun though? Anywhere you're planning fun? So we go to uh, Kiowa Island several times a year. So we are headed back there next month as well with the dogs in tow. So it'll be Amazing. fun. Amazing. Well, the dogs have behaved through this podcast. We didn't hear them once, even though you got that 15-week-old puppy, I think you told me. Uh, so well done to, to the dog. Fantastic. Uh, for everyone who got to know you today, a big thank you for sharing. If you're tuning in to The Marketer's Journey for the first time hearing Melissa, check out all the other episodes we have every week, different CMO, a different journey. Everyone's is unique. And I hope one day you listening get to share yours on here. Until next time, this has been The Marketer's Journey. 
You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, at uberflip.com slash podcast, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. 